0: Headings to that in the book so I'm going to keep those as our our three headings today which are letting God flow in your work so I'll just say at this point your work may be a workplace it may be what you do every day in serving him it may be for example I don't know if Martin's recording but you know um, talking about being at home with children it may be looking for work but letting God flow in your work letting your work honour God Letting your work honour God. And then a whole chapter entitled, You Have to Go Through Exile Before You Come Back Home. You have to go through exile before you come back home, considering what we do when life gets hard. Because a lot of this book's been really positively looking at God in the workplace, but this is about acknowledging the fact that sometimes things are really tough. So I have a systematic brain. I'm going to take us through that way, um, and I want to just give chance after each section to just spend some time praying, talking, thinking about how that might work in in reality and practicality. But I want to start in the words, Um, And I want to look at just two examples of people in the Old Testament whose work and life was changed because of their experience of the work of the Holy Spirit. I guess you, you could probably call them out. The two I want to look at are Caleb and Bezalel. So Caleb, I'm going to look at Numbers 13. And Bezalel, I'm going to look at Exodus 31. So I'll I'll just read them briefly and just kind of point some of the verses out. So Numbers 13, I'm just going to read starting at verse 16. And then just miss the middle section because it's got lots of names in. And I've been on an aeroplane. And then move on to verse 26. So starting at verse 16. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses gave her, she son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them out to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and onto the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they armored or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Sin as far as Rehob towards Lohamath. And so they go and they find this incredible fruit and they come back and report in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Marats live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up And take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. So one person there who really focused on the calling that God had given him. And that changed the community and it changed the course of history because of his obedience to God. And then Exodus 31, another type of work. This time the Lord said to Moses, looking at Exodus 31, verse 31, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, sorry, verse 1, the son of her, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. So again, we see somebody who then goes on to describe that what he's going to do is he is then going to start work on the tabernacle and on the temple. So moving on here... um, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded to you. Verse 7, the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstands, and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all of its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron and the priest, and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place they are to make them just as i commanded you so again examples all the way through the bible of people who are inspired by the holy spirit in what they do so i know that you will know me really well um, but just again because i know that we're recording and, and just for those that i know less well i'm esther i'm married to brad i have katie who's nine Caris who's five I have to look that up because I spent all of last week telling the whole of Singapore that she's six, but she's not, she's five. Um, I'm an assistant head teacher, I don't know why I did that, at a local boy's grammar. And I've been part of the church family here, drumroll please, how many years do you reckon? 22. Isn't that amazing? Thanks be to God. You know, just amazing. So, 22 years. So of that, I've been in education in a workplace for 15 years, which I ended with a tremendous sense Of calling and with vocation and God has continued to strengthen that calling and that vocation along the way and actually I think this is possibly the third time I've spoken on on work and the place of God in the workplace which is I'm sure deliberate Martin but you know a real um, blessing to me because that's really where my heart is Um, And I know that you this evening have walked the journey with me. And so I want to unpack these questions, but I want to be quite personal this evening. I am um, naturally a very enthusiastic and charismatic person. And I want to look a little bit more this evening at some of the lowlights as well as the highlights. And how God's been there through the struggle as well as through the joy. So, section one, letting God flow in your work. And I read this on the MRT in Singapore and it really, really spoke to me. So thank you God for uh, not minding which country we're reading your word in and speaking to us. So this chapter in Letting God Flow in Your Work starts with a story about a man who loves to work. He sees purpose in meaning as he goes to the office each day. He feels God there, sometimes even more than he does at church. He loves his family and believes that work will make him a better father and husband. And that really resonated with me, you know, to see the whole week as uh, being in the presence of God. And we're reminded that, as I say, Caleb we've looked at, Bezalel we've looked at, Queen Esther, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, Nehemiah. There are so many people in the Bible, you can have to forgive me because my brain is still on the wrong time. There are so many people in the Bible who their work is for God. Altbug gives us two practical ways to find God in our work. And the first one is to discover our strengths. So whatever it is that you're doing in the day, and whether this is in the workplace or whether this is separate to you in the workplace or whether this is instead of the workplace, to discover your strengths. And the second one is to understand what we receive when we work which I'll just unpack. So the first one, Discover Our Strengths, makes really good sense. So part of my job, obviously, is careers advice because I work with young people who are 16, 17, 18, even 19. And that, miss, what do I do now, is a massive question for young people, particularly because they're now going to be spending a lot of money going to university and a lot of time and so to get that bit right it isn't like it used to be when I first started teaching that you could just go off to university and then find out when you were at university you know young people now have to be so deliberate about what they're going to go on to do and my response usually comes down to what do you love what is it that you know Sharon Cope, who is who was a curate here speaks about what makes your heart sing what is it that you really love and keep doing it just keep doing it and that worked for me that's been my kind of rule of thumb for the last 20 years or so. And my greatest love, really, as because of Jesus, is to be in relationship with people, to be known and to know. I've been blessed with opportunities to pursue this gift all the way through my career in relationship. And so, as Marty mentioned, in this last week, it's taken me to the other side of the world. And so to be able to build collaboration and partnership. I've gone to Singapore to develop friendship and partnership with a school there. And I returned yesterday from... It was prophesied by three different people that it would be a life-changing experience. And I'm excited to see that happen because I certainly feel like it's been an incredible adventure and a real blessing. And without a doubt, the most incredible part for me was the relationships. the wonderful, hospitable, gracious brothers and sisters in Christ who welcomed me, loved me, served me, and in a totally different culture to my own, I was able to use my strengths in relationship and in learning to really experience a deeply fulfilling relational living with people in Singapore. And that was because we had the same Heavenly Father from the beginning. And so to be able to go as part of my work and to find that sense of calling was incre- an incredible privilege. And I recognise that's an extreme example, and I'm going to talk later about some of the hardships in my job, but for me, being able to use my God-given strengths has led to blessing and fulfilment. And then the second suggestion, he says, so the first one then being discover our strengths, and the second one being understanding what we receive when we work ties closely with that because Ortberg suggests that people tend to feel most fulfilled when they're totally immersed in a significant task that's challenging and pushes them to the highest of their abilities. And that's the point when they're deeply engaged. When it's really giving you challenge but not more than you can cope with and when you're totally focused. And at that point it is called flow. And flow is what he describes as what we experience when we connect with the reality beyond, our, beyond ourselves and we partner with God's work. When we're truly working in line with the spirit. And then if you are somebody who then um, is responsible for others and manages others there's then a responsibility for us all to lead each other on to find their flow and to be developing the next generation or the people working for us to find their flow in what they're doing so for me there was a moment in the week when I was sitting in an office in the Anglo-Chinese junior college in Singapore And it was an office, you know, it could have been anywhere in the world. But I was sitting and I was writing up and reflecting on the conversations I'd had that day. And I was applying the lessons that I'd learned to this system here. And I was asking the Holy Spirit just to open up to me what he wanted me to learn from the experience and what I should be bringing back. And there was a real challenge in taking something from one setting and translating ideas from one culture to another. And I just felt this flow. I just felt that I was right where my skills were able to be used. And it was a real blessing to me. And I'd had the same feeling the week before. Annie will tell you where I was putting together my new financial management system, which you know as well as I do, I think. Um, And putting together the accounts before I left for a meeting tomorrow. And again, there was just that, that afternoon where, where's the time gone? And it it suddenly disappears and you don't feel stressed at the end of it. You feel excited that you're doing something that really inspires you. So I want to start with two questions. Now I don't mind at this point whether you want to just write them down and reflect on them. Or talk about them amongst yourselves. And I'm just going to leave a few minutes of pause if you might even want to pray. And the first question is, are you able to use your strengths in what you do all day? So, wherever you are in the daytime, are you using your strengths? If not, are there other opportunities to use your strengths? And if you don't know whether there are or not, maybe that's something to ask the Holy Spirit just to reveal to you. So, are you able to use your strengths in what you do all day? And secondly, what are the things in life which give you the closest sense of using your strengths to partner with the Holy Spirit's work. That is, where in your life can you see the Holy Spirit using you to see his work done? What are the things that give you the greatest sense of purpose and fulfilment? So I just want to give you a couple of minutes. Talk, write, think. Are you able to use your strengths? What are the things where you feel that you're working with God? Feel free to chat. Feel free to Mm -hmm. quite look. Oh, I'm going to break something. I'm going to read you a section from the book for the next bit, which is um, about letting your work honour God and how we can develop further the ability to honour God in our work. And this just really spoke to me, so I'm going to read it straight out of the book. So this is about the journalist William Zinza's first job, which was writing for the Buffalo News. And traditionally, apparently, cub reporters often start by writing obituaries. And he was really frustrated by this assignment because he was just thinking to himself, you're not going to win a Pulitzer Prize for an obituary. So he worked up courage to ask his editor, when am I going to get some decent story assignments? And this was the reply. Listen, kids, his crusty old editor growled at him. Nothing you write will ever get read as carefully as what you are writing right now. You misspell a word, you mess up a date, and a family will be hurt. But you do justice to someone's grandmother, to someone's mum. You make a life sing. They will be grateful forever. They will put your words in laminate. Things changed. I pledged I would make the extra calls, Zinza said. I would ask the extra questions. I would go the extra mile. That is essentially from the Sermon on the Mount. You write obituaries for others as you would want others to write an obituary for you. Obituaries that deserve to be laminated Because someday, somebody will Sindra eventually moved on to other kinds of writing Including a book on writing itself That sold more than a million copies But none of it would have happened If he had not devoted himself to obituaries God himself can only bless me in my circumstances today If I cannot experience the spirit in the work I am doing today Then I can't experience the spirit today at all is Augsburg's view I think that's really interesting I'll say that again just because you might agree you might not but I think it's really interesting if I cannot experience the spirit in the work I'm doing today then I can't experience the spirit today at all passion for our work he goes on to discuss is not usually a subterranean volcano waiting to erupt he says that passion for our work is a plant that needs to be cultivated or a muscle that gets strengthened every day as we work at what we've been given to do as if working for the Lord. So every day, as I go into work faithfully and I mark those papers as if I was marking them for the Lord, He is growing that muscle in me of working for Him. So the advice He gives us to ensure that I work on as God is work wholeheartedly, work wholeheartedly, make work part of your calling view as service to God, see him as your first appraiser. So I'm conscious that there are people here who either are um, retired, or who perhaps are be people who aren't in the workplace at the moment. But that doesn't stop the fact that it is Jesus that will hold us to account for our time, and it is he that we want to bless as we minister, and as we use the, the hours that he's given us. So, I'm asked what I do for work, and obviously, sometimes if I if I'm asked in front of young people what I do for work I try and find a way that doesn't start with assistant head teacher because apparently even in Singapore as soon as you say that they then don't look at you or speak to you in fact two young men in Singapore aged I believe 13 and 16 as soon as the words vice principal were uttered in front of them they couldn't even look me in the eye which bless them is an is a international problem um, so sometimes I say things like I'm a teacher or I work with young people uh, sometimes if I'm at a bus stop and I want the young people next to me to overhear it I make it very obvious that I run a school um But uh, God has shown me that the the answer he would have me give is that I'm creating opportunities for others to develop and grow. That is I'm building God's kingdom, by creating opportunities for others to develop and grow. So in teaching, I provide children with keys. I provide children with keys to their future. And then they can choose whether to unlock the door with those keys. In developing staff, I'm enabling others to grow and to flourish. In caring for my children as a mother, I'm expressing God's love and his father heart. I am copying what I see the father doing, I hope, in part. So, the question then, what do you do all day? Do you work? Do you visit with others? Do you care for children? How can you answer that question, what do you do all day, in the framework of God's plan for your life? How does God view what you do all day? How does God view it? What's God's description? How are you doing kingdom work? You might be writing obituaries, but are you bringing peace in the time that someone needs it? Are you bringing order? How are you moving people and this world closer to the reality that God would have his kingdom be? So again, just something to sink in there, because that's really my second question there. What do you do all day? How would you describe your work and what you do in the framework of God's plan? Um, London Institute of Contemporary Christianity speaks about writing your mission statement. What is it that God has got for your life? What is the calling on your life? And then, lastly, I, I thought a lot about how I was going to approach this section, which is you have to go through exile before you can come back home. And I woke up this morning, four o'clock, brilliant jet lag, perfect timing to really work on this. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to be really honest to be really honest, and gave me some points in my past that he wanted me to speak about. So, you may well know, just in case you don't, I have a gift for charismatic enthusiasm. In fact, at school I am known as Captain Enthusiastic. I was apparently going through an assistant head interview once, and uh, it was asked how Captain Enthusiastic was getting on. And it's kind of stuck ever since. And so I have a bit of a reputation for being a positive influence, which is a good thing. But I'm learning that passion and enthusiasm has uh, another side to it which can lead to deep pain and frustration. Because you care passionately. It means it really hurts when it doesn't go well. And so in the workplace of 15 years in education, I've learned as much through the failures and the pain and the hard times as I have through the joy and through the successes. So, because you are my church family and because the Lord has asked me to, I will share some personal bits from that. Um, and I just trust for your grace and your understanding because you were with me as I walked through it all anyway. So, in April 2005, I had our second miscarriage in the year. Uh, both early miscarriages. I lost a baby in the January uh, very early on, and this was a very early pregnancy also. But for me, it was a very painful time, it, it, the pregnancy ended at work, and it was uh, very painful. I fell pregnant again in September, and by the grace of God, Caitlin was born in a June... And I loved being pregnant, but it was a time of real fear and anxiety for me, partly because I found working very hard. I was in a very demanding school at the time. I had a massive love for my work, but I gave a lot. And after Caitlin was born, I really struggled between a passion and a calling and a vocation for work, and I'd always wanted to be a mummy. And as I'm sure lots and lots of people can identify with that pull between where you should be and where you feel you should be and always thinking about one place when you were at the other. It's something that a lot of people can identify with. But I found that really tough. And then childcare was tough. And her Day Nursery, just down the road from Stephen Dots, where Esther, I think, even had once taken her down in a pram on an Austed day, closed down with three weeks' notice. And it was tough times. Some really, really tough times. Um, I moved on to a new school. My second pregnancy at work was easier. I was healthier. God gave me a fantastic, uh, gracious birth story and early uh, few weeks with Karis that he really healed a lot of the anxiety. Uh, But with two young children, I found the challenges of teaching sometimes really, really difficult. I taught very challenging children in a very tough setting. And I developed a reflux. And the reflux burnt my throat. And it even caused me for a short period of time to be out of the classroom. And I found that really, really difficult. I eventually moved to the school I'm in now, which is a place where I love, absolutely love. It's a place of grace. It's a place of enthusiasm. And I know there's you know, a number of parents here. you know, And I hope that that's your experiences too. But it's a place that I love to be. Uh, but there are still days when the reality of working in your flow sometimes moves into feeling that it's impossible and that the challenge that you are facing is too great. And sometimes that that task seems too high to climb. And I think for me recently, as many, many of you here know, that kind of example of that was going to Singapore. Because I desperately wanted to do it. Really just knew it was the experience of a lifetime. But at the same time, fear of flying doesn't really, cover, doesn't really cover what I've put you all through over the last few weeks and months. You know, waking up in the middle of the night terrified. Convinced I wasn't coming back. Crying on Annie a week before last because I thought it was the last time I was going to worship in our church. Just utterly, utterly convinced. And it's one of those things which, when you say it afterwards, it sounds ridiculous. But at the time, it was like gripping. Gripping fear. But as you can see, over the last 15 years, God's been dealing with anxiety. In fact, beyond that. You know, for all of my life. God's been dealing with anxiety and fear, and this was an opportunity for me to say, "I will not let fear take over." And thanks be to God. I know Martin. I think you mentioned this last week. I heard from uh, Singapore, but I've seen the prayers of my church, I've seen practical advice and support, and I've seen my personal strength grow. And so I could get on the plane in His spirit, with Paul in waking up in the middle of the night to pray for me, and have an experience of a lifetime. Because God had taken each of those experiences and taught me a little bit more and changed me as a person. Would I erase them? Yes, there are probably experiences I would have I would erase from my life, actually, if I'm being really honest. But in another way, no. Because God's changing me and I could get on a plane on my own and go to a new culture. You know, Romans five, God had used the tough to grow character. Romans 5 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The highlights of the past week have been so many, and I decided not to bore you with photos, and I know they're not on the blog yet, but don't you worry, because Stephen and Dot have already seen about 600 of them, and there are many. Bless them. We didn't actually leave the pub until half past four. a like time to because of my photos. Um, but I think the biggest testament to God's faithfulness in my life over the last week, which is probably the point at which I'll burst into tears, hit home to me at quarter past six yesterday morning, when after my bag had taken forever to arrive, I finally walked through customs, and there was my babies and my husband and I ran into Kate I saw Caitlin first I just went baby <laughs> ran into her arms and it was just like a scene from Love Actually as I'm streaming with tears they're all streaming with tears you know that's God's faithfulness in my life to me and I'm so grateful for the, you know, the journey that I've been through there have been tough times But 2 Timothy 2, I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So as we finish, just the last little bit here, Orberg suggests four ways God can grow us through tough times. Firstly, rising to a challenge reveals abilities hidden within you that would otherwise have remained dormant. Rising to a challenge reveals abilities hidden within you and beyond you that would otherwise have remained dormant. Secondly, adversity can deepen relationship. Adversity can deepen relationship. This this morning, you know, Diane I know shared, Mum shared, you know, we had some really powerful testimonies about Jesus and his relationship with us through the tough times and and us being here together. I think what was said this morning about this church being a place that, that really changes lives. Adversity can deepen relationship. Adversity can change your priorities about what really matters. Adversity can change your priorities about what really matters. And adversity points us to the hope beyond ourselves. Points us to the hope beyond ourselves. So my testimony, just to finish, is that God is the God of the journey as well as the destination. He was the God who put me in the position I'm in now and who's walked with me every step of the way. He is the God who gave me peace in the nights of terror before I left for Singapore. The God who sat with me on the plane. The God who, when I walked into the church that meets in the upper room of the school on Barker Road in ACS, which I know some of you know, when I walked in and I felt his presence and I thought, I'm home. This is home. Home from home. The church, the God that joins his church with the same DNA and the same Father's heart Across the world, absolutely incredible. This is the God who has blessed me with the family I returned to, encapsulated in that moment at Heathrow yesterday, when all that mattered in life was that we were together. He was, and He is, and He is to come. He is the God of the journey. So I want to finish with some uh, calls to response. It might be that you want to come and receive prayer. Martin, I don't know if you want people to come up to the front, perhaps, if you'd like to pray with each other um, or to pray with the people that you're with. But there were three specific things about facing times which are less than perfect. So firstly, I wonder if some of us are facing challenges which we feel are moving beyond flow to the impossible. Challenges that are beginning to feel impossible. Secondly, I wonder if some of us are feeling the opposite way. Are we feeling bored without a vision for God's plan for where we are now? We think, yeah, nice view, Esther, you're lucky, you've got a vocation. But actually, my life's really boring. You know, and I think God today wants to give us His vision for where He's placed us. And thirdly, it might just be that there's some really difficult stuff going on in your life at the moment. So, three calls a challenge if you feel that you're moving beyond flow to the impossible and it's feeling tough. Secondly, are you bored? And without a vision for what God wants in your life or for the future? And thirdly, is there something really difficult going on? So I'd really just like to invite you to um, allow him to minister to you tonight. So I just want to end with prayer. Father God, thank you that you are God of the journey. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. And thank you that your greatest desire above all else is to be in relationship with us. And that's exactly what we want to do tonight. We want to give you tomorrow morning and the rest of the week and the month and the year. And we want to see you glorified and we want to get to know you better because we know that you are the source of everything good for us. So we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come, continue to meet with us and change us and do things in our lives tonight that really make us the very best that we can be. In Jesus' name.